Let me pray for us. Let's get in the Word together. Father, guide us here this morning, and I pray uh, for us as we're hearing from your Word, that we wouldn't just hear it and let it bounce off of us and say, oh, that's for somebody else. But Lord, that you would uh, allow us to respond to you um, with trust, with obedience to your word, even when that obedience is difficult for us. And I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would direct this truth to our hearts this morning. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I grew up in a house uh, where cooking was important. Both my mother and father were excellent cooks. Each of them came from a family that valued cooking. They're old school Italians. And the prized jewel of any Italian's food repertoire is the Sunday gravy. When you say it, you say it with reverence. There should, someone long sauce, and I'm proud of it. I'm so proud of it that I have a hard time hearing about this from anybody. Now, what's funny is the first service, I had someone come up to me afterward and, and give me advice on my long sauce. They have been excommunicated from the church, right? <laughs> but then I, I started to watch this guy. Anybody watch Binging with Babish on YouTube? Am I the only one in here? He's a cooking guy. He makes food from movies and TV. And he's really fun. I like him. And I, I started to make some of the stuff that he made. And I really liked it. He had some great little tips. And I got the, I got the cookbook of Binging with Babish. And, you know, uh, whatever. He's going to make this kind of chicken. And I would do it. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And then you know what he did? After we have this great relationship, he tries to tell me how to make Sunday gravy. He comes on and does a whole episode about how to make Sunday gravy. Top threw it again. Cursed his name, right? No, I, I actually listened. And he goes, he goes, you know what you should try? He goes, I like to take a little bit of chopped onion and cook it in with my meat. That, my friends, is sacrilege. You don't do that. It's not how I was raised. But I tried it. Not bad. <laughs> huh? He said, you know, take a little pasta water when you're done and use it to finish your sauce. I didn't grow up that way. I was insulted when I heard it. I tried it. Look, none of us like to be told how to do something that we believe that we do well. But often the best way for us to grow is to re-examine the things that we've always done. So we're going to continue our series today in this definition of disciple. And in this series, we're invited to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. But here's the premise I'm working off of, because I think it's true in my life. I think I have made up a definition of what it is to be a Christ follower that I'm comfortable with. And I think I've included in there a bunch of stuff that I'm good at, and I've excluded a bunch of things that I'm not good at. And instead of letting Jesus define what it means to be a Christ follower, I've made up my own standards. Now, where I got those from, maybe the first things I learned or people are influential, who knows? But in reality, if I'm honest, it looks a lot more like how I already live than how Christ is calling me to live. And so I'd like us to be brave in this series and in this morning to acknowledge the fact that our version of following Christ is probably not what Jesus would say. And to do our best to humble ourselves and hear from Jesus on what it is to be his disciple. Fair? Are we that brave today? Right? All right. So we're going to hear from Jesus today, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now this is Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry, and he's faced down the temptation of the devil, and he started to reveal himself. He's cast out demons, he's teaching with authority, and he's doing a lot of healing. In Luke chapter 4, we're told the people brought him the sick from all over the place, all kinds of maladies. He's, he's in a place called Capernaum. It's a village of fishermen and merchants on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a blue-collar town. And I, I imagine that many people were sick and injured, and they had no true medical care there. So this was a... ...because they were captured by his teaching. And anywhere we don't read specifically what Jesus is teaching, I think we have to assume that he's teaching something like the Sermon on the Mount. It's what we have in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's Jesus kind of redefining what it is to have a relationship with God. He talks about, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. He talks about, you have heard it said, here's how to live, but I tell you to live this new way. He talks about building our, our And that redefinition of what it meant to know God was in capturing people. And they were interested, they were leaning in on it. And so he's out there, and the crowd is coming around them. And, uh, and so he's on the north shore of the lake. And so in order to get a little better place to teach from... He calls out to Simon. He says, let me borrow your boat, Simon. He's going to stand in the boat, and he's going to go out a little bit from the shore and make like a little natural amphitheater kind of thing. Now, picking Simon isn't random. Uh, Simon, the day or not, recently in chapter 4 of Luke, uh, Jesus had gone to Simon's house, and he'd healed Simon's mother-in-law, who was really sick. And I'm sure Simon is very thankful, because when you do something nice, for your wife's mother, it's special. Your wife likes that. That's a pro tip from me to you, okay? <laughs> Married guys in the room, do something nice for your wife's mother, okay? And I'm going to see my mother-in-law uh, today, so I better come up with something. Hello, Marty. Joe is watching. So Simon and his guys are out there, and they're out there washing their nets. They weren't out there fishing with fishing poles. They're fished with nets, and they get all kinds of junk in there. And they would make their nets ineffective, and you had stuff that would get die in there. It would smell bad. And they, they wow, they probably, <laughs> they probably had tears in there that needed to be repaired. So after a long night of fishing, uh, they're just finishing up their work. Now, let me ask you this. You ever been out all night fishing or all, out all night working? Do you want to go back out? Do you want to do anything at the end of your shift? When you think I'm done and I'm going home, he doesn't want to go back out, right? But he probably owes Jesus. Jesus has healed his mother-in-law, and he's like, hey, I need your boat, Simon. He's like, okay, let's go, Jesus, right? And so Jesus takes him out, and, he's gonna, and they're out, and he's going to speak in the boat. And he's like, all right, good, I'll, I'll do a little thing with Jesus, and then I get to go home. But right when they're done, Jesus gives Simon a strange directive. Verse 4. It says, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, we toiled all night. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
Have you ever had someone tell you how to do something you know how to do? Or something you've already done? I was in a hotel a couple of weeks ago, and I go, and we're waiting for the elevator. It was an embassy suite where you could see the elevator where it is, and it's all the way up top, and I come and I push the button, and the elevator's really, really slow. It's taking a long time, and the button didn't light up. But I push it. I know how to push an elevator button. Don't look at me like that, right? I push it, I push it a couple times. It's not coming. It's moving real slow. So another guy comes up. He goes, you waiting for the elevator? I said, yeah, I already pushed the button. What does he do? He pushes the button, right? He goes and pushes the button. Here's the push. And then we both wait for the elevator. Really slow. Couple comes up. The guy says, oh, I already pushed the button. What do they do? They push the button, right? We all push the button in that situation, right? We're like, these people obviously don't know how to push buttons. And look, I'm not, a, I'm not a, uh, an expert button pusher, right? That's not, you know. Um, but I think I know what I'm doing. I know all the good pushes. I can do it with my pinky, with my thumb. I can do a COVID one, you know, all that stuff. But here's this moment, right? What does Jesus do for a living? Carpenter, right? Does the carpenter tell the fisherman how to fish? I mean, can't you kind of hear Simon's voice? Uh, we've already toiled all night. Us, the fishermen, have already tried. There's no fish today. I've already pushed the button, Jesus. There's no elevator. And many of us, that's our initial reaction to the things of God. Look, I don't need anyone to tell me how to treat people. I know how to be married. I know how to parent. I know how to make good decisions. I know what I want to do with my life. And I think we've also come up with, I know how to be a follower of God. And Simon could have done the same thing. He could have said, no, Jesus, I get it. You're a healer. Uh, you're a great teacher. But I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. I shouldn't have to listen to you. Would any of you, if I came to your job, Steve's right here. He's a photographer. Does fantastic work, right? If I showed up at a high-end wedding and I said, Steve, hang on. Give me the camera. Give me the camera. I got some ideas. All right. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. Right? Would anything even come out? I'm not even holding a camera. It wouldn't have worked at all. I'm just doing this with my fingers, right? And yet, something's different in this moment. Something's different with Simon and Jesus. And I don't know if, it's, if it was what Jesus was teaching or that he'd earned something by healing his mother-in-law or it was just some other way that Jesus carried himself. But Peter decides he's going to obey Jesus. And I think it's kind of unique because this is going to cost Peter something, right? It's going to take effort. He's going to go back out. He doesn't say, hey, just drop him right here. He goes, let's go to the deep water. And when you take a boat out, do you just get in the boat and go? He's already put his boat. He's got to get all the stuff together, right? He's got nets that are out there. He's got to pick up the nets and finish cleaning the nets. He's got to get all the stuff together. Every time I ever go on a boat with anybody, it takes like an hour and a half to get the boat going anywhere. They're always cranking some stuff and moving some mainsails. I don't know what they're doing. Right? It, it, he has a, there's effort here, right? And there's sacrifice. He wants to be home asleep. There's patience. It's going to take some time. We're going to go out fishing in the deep water. And there's humility. Lots of humility. Right? It, it takes humility to let a non-fisherman tell you how to fish. And let's be clear here. Humility doesn't mean thinking poorly of yourself. Peter doesn't have to believe that he's a bad fisherman to follow Jesus' direction. He just has to believe that Jesus is better. And so he goes out, and he lets down his net. Verse 6. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. 
And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. See, this is not just a good catch of fish. This isn't a best day. This is an impossible day. It's more fish than the net can hold. Another boat has to come, and it's more fish than they can really carry. They're sinking. And this miracle has special significance for Peter. Look, if I'm in the boat with Jesus, and I'm not a fisherman, and he said, let's go fishing, and I went out and caught a bunch of fish, I wouldn't know if it was special. I wouldn't know how that happened. I'd be like, oh, this is just a good day fishing. Jesus must know what he's doing, right? Oh, cool, Jesus. Thanks for the fishing tip. But Peter knows that whatever just happened is incredible. It's otherworldly. He knows this is not what happens. Peter's been a fisherman his whole life, probably grew up fishing. This is the town that he's from. Peter's an older guy. He's not like some of the younger disciples. He's married. He's got a, you know, has a mother-in-law. He's been out fishing hundreds, if not thousands of times. He knows that this isn't how it works. And Jesus does something that's extraordinary. How do you get that many fish into the net? He obviously has mastery over nature. Do you know anyone who can make fish do what they want them to do? Wild fish? Not domesticated, trained fish. I know you can do some tricks, Josh. But fish just out in a lake? Hey, I want all you. It's like Aquaman stuff, right? He's like, I want all the fish to come in this net. So many fish. And so Peter, he knows what he's seeing. And you know how we know what a big deal this is? By Peter's reaction. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's reaction is to know that he's in the presence of divinity. To be struck by his own sin. That he doesn't belong in the holy presence of Jesus. And as our view widens, we see it's not just Peter alone, that James and John, who will also end up following Jesus, they're there too, and they're amazed. And they're asking themselves the question, what does it mean that this non-fisherman Jesus can do this? And Jesus grabs onto that moment, and he gives us a definition of a disciple. He says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon says to Jesus, you are holy, Jesus. Go away. And Jesus responds, I'm holy. Come with me. Right? He, he invites him in. And I can imagine um, Simon Peter telling the story years later. I can imagine him around a campfire with some people and saying, I got to tell you, I was out with Jesus one time. And it was under a long night, and we go out, and uh, he doesn't know what he's doing, right? He says, let's go out to the deep water. He goes, you never catch fish out there. And we go out there, and the fish, it was overloaded with fish. And I'm like, man, this guy's trying to bless me. That's unbelievable. And I realize he's, he's, he's got to be greater than I can imagine. And I go down on my knees, and he says to me, he goes, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And you know what? He did. Can I tell you what happened after that? Not too long afterward, I preached a sermon to a whole crowd, and 3,000 people came forward to get baptized. And one time, John and I were with this guy, and we healed this guy who'd been crippled since birth. 
There was one time I came upon a little girl who died and saw God's power raise her up. He goes, do you know there used to just be 12 of us? And the years following uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the early church grew to over 100,000. What did Peter become? Exactly what Jesus said he would be. He said, I was just going to be a fisherman in a small village. He goes, instead, I got to be part of this. He goes, he knew who I really was. And he called me out to be a fisher of men. And we see in Peter's response that this is a moment of disciples. follow him. That he stays married to, he still has a boat later on in the story, he's still fishing later on in the story. It's not that he left taking care of his wife and taking care of his family, but he left the priority of fishing to the priority him becomes the most important thing in his life and it transforms the way that he's married. He trans- it transforms what he fishes for. Right? Make a lot of sense. serve. He really wants to help with our youth. He goes, I'm getting into a new job where I can help with the youth. He reorganized his schedule so that he can be a youth leader. I'm like, that's something that a disciple does, right? Following Jesus, serving Jesus is important to me, so I reorganized my life to prioritize that time. But you don't make those kind of decisions unless a key ingredient is true. And it's the over our own, if we're going to allow him to cross and shape us, we have to be humble. Scripture tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. It says God opposes the proud but exalts the humble. But how do we humble ourselves? There's a couple things Peter does in this story. One, he obeys Jesus acknowledges his own sinfulness, and third, he follows Jesus over worldly pursuits. Peter the fisherman listens to Jesus the carpenter on how to fish. Review on there, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, is this worth our time? And I walk out in the lobby, and this lady comes running up to me crying and hands me $1,000 in cash. And um, my first thought was, if only they'd given me the whole sermon, right? Man, if only they'd given me the whole sermon. Man, look what I did with five minutes. Soon as God blessed me, I claimed it for my own. You know what I am? I'm a great fundraiser. Imagine, imagine, it would have been 10 grand. And she'd run up, giving me cash and run off. And I'm thinking about this the next day, and I'm frustrated with this other church who had let me come and who has supported us as a church. 
But this is how the pride, the pride, the arrogance works, right? I can't learn anything because I'm in the way of it. And so I, uh, I called the church. I said, hey, I said, uh, the lady who came up to me yesterday, I described her, and they said, oh, that's so-and-so. I said, I'd love to call and thank her and make sure I have her name for a tax receipt. And so I call her up, and really, though, I wanted to hear how great I was. Here was this lady who was so moved by what I said that she came and gave all this money. And I'm like, oh, man. And I remember thinking of some humble way to say it. And I was like, uh, hi, hi, this is Gary. You came up to me yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what was it about how you heard the vision yesterday? That so moved me. I'm waiting for this just, oh, Gary, you're the best. And she said, now, here's God, right? He's like, I'm going to humble you in this. He says, um, she goes, I wasn't in the room. I said, what? She goes, I wasn't in the service. She goes, I was in children's ministry. I'm like, what? But what about the thing I said that really, she's like, she's like, I don't even know who you are. She's like, I was in children's ministry, and I was teaching a lesson, and God's been working on this thing in my life, and he led me. He said, hey, there's a guy in the lobby, you know, a fat guy in the lobby, and go and, 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 and give him the, that $1,000 that you have from this. It told me a whole long story. And I was like, oh, she goes, yeah, so what are you doing? She didn't know I was a church planter. She didn't know if I was a homeless guy. She had no idea who I was. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm buying a Jiffy Lube? I don't know. I, you know. And God was like, this is mine. It's not you. You're not a great fundraiser. He goes, if you humble yourself, if you get out of my way, he goes, you know who I did best with? The people who weren't listening to you. That's how I did best with. The people who heard you, you know who came up to you and gave you money after? None of them. You'd be better if when you spoke, no one was there, and you just received the blessings I have for you over here. So that was good, right? <laughs> when we do our stuff instead of God's stuff, we miss God's best for us. We miss the miracles that he want, wants to do. Jesus tells Peter to go fish at the wrong time and the wrong place, right? And Peter could have upped his pride as Eric and said, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. It's a waste of my time. But he humbles himself and God blesses him. Peter confesses his sinfulness uh, when Jesus is revealed by the miracle. And I, I got to tell you, this is a key ingredient for me. I, I told my wife this yesterday. I said, I don't know how I'm supposed to preach on humility when I'm not humble. And we're laying in bed. This is like, this is last night, 1130. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say about this, honey. I, I, I don't feel like I'm here. I can't talk about humility. It's, I, I'm like, I, I'm not even, I don't know what to do with this. And so Liz goes, you know, why don't you just talk about the process? And I thought to myself, quiet, woman. What are you, you don't know what you're, you know. And God's like, hey, maybe you should listen to her. That'd be a good person to listen to. And uh, so I'm going to talk about the process a little bit. Um, and some of the process for me is, um, is to deal with my own sinfulness. It is good for me to regularly acknowledge my own sin, that I remember who I am, that I'm a sinner who needs grace and forgiveness, uh, not to delude myself into thinking that I'm righteous. You ever talk yourself into thinking that you're righteous, that you're better than other people? That happens to me. And I have to be uh, corrected in that on a regular basis. My sin gets in the way. I remember uh, one time I was at like a conference thing. It was a smaller conference, like 30 people, and this guy is giving a presentation on how to do something. And I had met the guy earlier in the day, and I thought he was kind of a jerk. And so uh, since I thought he was kind of a jerk, 
I just tuned him out while he was talking. And my buddy was sitting next to me. And so the whole time that guy was talking, I was just looking for things I could make fun of about that guy. And so I, would, I, mean, I totally ruined the guy's next to me experience as well. And I just whispered in his ear, oh, that guy this, that guy this. I bet you he's this. I bet you he's that, right? I don't hear a thing the guy's saying except stuff I can make fun of. And we get done, and my old boss is there. He was across the room, and he comes up. He goes, can you believe what that guy said? I'm like, yeah, what a jerk. He goes, well, sure. He goes, but he said that really neat thing. I thought that would really apply to you and your situation, the thing you're telling me about. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I said, oh, you know, I really couldn't pay attention. The guy was such a jerk. And he goes, you think you should only listen to people who don't, you don't think they're a jerk? And I'm like, I guess so. And he goes, then why do you think people will listen to you? And I was like, jerk, right? <laughs> right? If I think I'm perfect and, and, I, and you can only learn from people who are perfect, who can I learn from? If I can't see past my first impression of someone to hear something useful for the kingdom, how am I supposed to grow? How can I be a disciple of Jesus when my pride and arrogance leaves no room for him? I think I already know how to do everything. So if we're going to be humble, we have to grow in those ways, right? His way is better than ours. Confessing our own sinfulness. Following Jesus over worldly pursuit. It's kind of neat. Um, we see that God blesses Peter, right? He blesses him with all these fish. And then we see this journey of a disciple starts with what? Walking away from all the fish. He gets the thing that he wants. The thing he's been, he's been out looking for fish, right? And Jesus goes and they get all the fish he could possibly imagine. Now, I don't know how that works in the, the money side of stuff, but I'm assuming that that's a significant amount of cash he's walking away from. And he's been out laboring for it, and he didn't get it, didn't get it, and now he gets it. And Jesus says, great, your first thing to do is leave that behind and come and follow me. Right? He says, when we achieve some success, when we follow God and God blesses us, there's a test. Are we going to claim it for ourselves? I mean, Peter could have come back and said, you know what, I went out with Jesus, and he was kind of a good luck charm. I took him to my good spot. I persevered, and I found, I got all these fish, and yeah, thanks, Jesus, but really, I mean, who's the fisherman here, right? He could have claimed it for himself, but Jesus tests him and trains him by saying, will you walk away from the worldly success in order to follow me. See, humility is an essential ingredient to being a disciple. We can't have Jesus without it. There's no room for him. I'm not a humble person. And so as I think about how to practice this, I hear the words of Scripture. I don't have a, here's how I do this. Mostly, uh, the only humility that comes in my life is when God humbles me. My desire is to be uh, more intentional on seeking humility that I may be more like Christ. Here's um, some of what uh, the Word says, right? Uh, one, it says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. You want to grow in humility, be slow to speak. Don't be the one who jumps in with the answer. Don't be the one who is going to correct somebody else. It's slow to speak, quick to listen. There's value everywhere. People that you think, oh, they don't really know what they're talking about, they have something to teach you. It's then slow to become angry. We rush to judgment so fast. I, I'm, I get angry so quick. And God says, you're, you're not the one whose job it is to be judged. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to become angry. 
one of the ways we practice humility. I think the, the second thing is to, to look up before we judge others. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks in Matthew 7, he says, do not judge lest ye be judged with the measure you use be measured against you. He says, why do you uh, take the speck out of your brother's eye and all the time you have a plank in your own eye? He says, before you judge someone else, remember that you will be judged, that you'll stand before the judgment seat. And in that moment, you're not going to be uh, proud of everything that you've done. The only reason you're going to be received to heaven is because of what Jesus has done. If I was judged on my own actions, if any of us in this room were judged on our own actions, right, we would fail to qualify. And it wouldn't be close. And there's nobody who's better than anybody else. It's not like, well, Edie's almost there, you know, and Amy's half of that. Jim, I'm not even going to pretend with you, right? Like, we want to look up before we judge. I'm in a situation where I judge somebody else. Just take a minute and consider your own sinfulness. I cannot believe how often I judge someone else incredibly harsh, harshly for the things I do myself. When someone else does it, man, they're terrible, they're this, they're that. When I do it, well, here's the reasons I did that. I know my own reasons. If I'm going to grow in humility, I stop myself in the middle of judgment and I look up. Lord, will you show me my sin in this? I think ways we can grow in humility. One, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Second, look up before we judge others. And then this last one is this. I think if we're going to grow in humility so that we can be disciples of Jesus, we need to dwell on the magnificence of God. To dwell on the magnificence of God. The thing that reminds me of who I am and my place is that God is so great. To know about his majesty, his power, his timelessness, his goodness that so dwarfs my own. There's that piece of the Psalms where David says, what is, what is man that you are mindful of him? Right? The more we dwell on the magnificence of God, the clearer we see who we are and where we fit. And I, I know for me, I think that's an underrated part of my discipleship journey, of my wanting to be like Jesus, is to take time and dwell on the magnificence of God. Read the Psalms, right? Write out Scripture to God. Dwell on who He is. Appreciate what He's made and dwell on his magnificence. I think when we do that, it helps us see ourselves more honestly. It is my intention to grow to be not my own definition of a Christ follower, but Jesus' definition. And so my intention is to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Right? To be someone who dwells on the magnificence of God and to look up before I judge other people. I pray that that would be the mark of our church I think it's so easy for us to fall into arrogance and pride. I've even heard it in this season. And I'm, look, I'm proud of our church and the things that we've done and how God has blessed us here. But it's a, it's a quick little step to arrogance there of giving ourselves credit. Well, we worked harder. We did this. We're better people. We're this. We're not those kind. We're this right kind. It's so easy for us to get to arrogance. And it's a harder journey toward humility. But I would love that to be a hallmark of our church. That's a church of humble people. When's the last time you got to say that about a church? Man, what a church of humble people. It's a hallmark of what it is to be a Christ follower. I know that you come here because your desire is to be a disciple of Jesus. Embracing humility is the path of true discipleship. Let that be true in me. Let that be true in you. Let that be true in our church. Let me pray that for us. Father God, thank you.
Thank you, Lord, that you humble us when we don't have the courage to humble ourselves. Lord, let us lean into those times of correction and discipline. Father, help us um, as we consider your magnificence to know who we really are, not to undervalue or overvalue ourselves, but to know that we have value because you see it in us. Lord, let us be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. Let us be people who look up before we make judgments, that we may grow in our, uh, de that our, the definition of a discipleship in our life would be yours and not ours. And Father, we praise you and thank you that you continue to love and, and reach out in grace and mercy um, to people such as us. Let that be true of us here. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Have a fantastic Sunday.